Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom and welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Joshua Kahan, and today we are studying Masechet Psachim, page 120, Daf Kuf Kaf. I want to focus here on a fascinating machlok at a debate about the relationship between the three key foods that comprise the mitzvah of the Seder, Pesach, Matzah, and Maror. The debate centers on the status of matzah and maror, bazman hazeh, these days, meaning in a world without a temple and thus without the Pesach offering. Rava begins by declaring that while the eating of matzah and maror are both still mitzvot, there is a crucial difference. The eating of maror in the absence of the Pesach is only a rabbinic mitzvah. The biblical command loses its force, and there is only a rabbinic command to continue the tradition Matzah, however, is still considered deoraita, a biblical mitzvah. The Torah's initial command remains in force. Rav Achabar Yaakov, on the other hand, considers both matzah and maror to be merely rabbinic in the absence of the Pesach. The question focuses us on a crucial and often ignored aspect of the Pesach Seder. We talk about the Seder symbols and ascribe a meaning to each. We suggest that there is a separate reason why we eat each of the three foods. But in fact, the Seder is built around the biblical command in Exodus 12.8 to eat the three foods together. The main food, the roasted meat itself, was to be eaten with sauce, maror, in a pita, matzah. They are presented not as three mitzvot, but as one. We mention in the Haggadah that Hillel the Elder would eat them this way without noting that this is indeed the way it was intended. The mission reports that these three foods were brought out together on the tray. The original four questions all focused on these foods, and Rabban Gamliel presents them together as the essential components of the mitzvah. The eating of the Pesach sacrifice was a defining element of the Israelite experience in Temple times. So what to do with that ritual once the Temple was gone was a question of major import for the sages. Our sugya builds on a statement later in Exodus 12 that you shall eat matzah in the evening. In context, the verse is simply explaining that the requirement to eat only matzah and not chametz begins on the evening of the 15th, even though the Pesach itself was being prepared during the day of the 14th of Nisan. But the sages take it as a separate command. You must eat matzah on the night of the 15th. This is significant because it enables matzah to take on an identity of its own, to function as a mitzvah, independent of its role as the accompaniment to the Pesach. The debate in our sugya is about how independent it becomes. Rav Achabar Yaakov accepts that, based on this verse, one must eat matzah even if he has no Pesach. But he limits this to those who are individually unable to eat the sacrifice, because they themselves are impure or cannot reach Jerusalem on the 14th, but who live in a time when the Pesach, offer, Pesach is being offered. In other words, matzah is independent to the extent that those barred from the sacrifice itself can still participate in part 
in the grand communal undertaking. Rava takes this a significant step further. In his reading, this verse makes matzah independent to the extent that its force endures even when the Pesach is gone. Matzah, unlike Maror, appears independently in the story as well as with the Pesach. It is the bread, as we all well know, that the Israelites baked as they rushed out of Egypt. It can therefore function as a separate commemoration, and indeed a, another representation of the Exodus experience, another piece of that experience. As such, it is left in our post-temple world as the only biblical command about this meaning-laning night that we can still fulfill. It naturally, then, comes to take the place of the Pesach meat in the structure of the ceremony. All of the concern that the Bible lavishes on exactly how and when we are to eat the meat of the Pesach gets transferred to the matzah. Thus, we find ourselves emphasizing the need to eat the matzah with great enjoyment and gusto, an attitude seemingly entirely inappropriate for a dry cracker, but which is quite sensible for roasted meat. We obsessively guard the grains which will become our matzah from well before there is reason to, because this is what was done for the Pesach lamb, which, in already the Bible tells us, was set aside four days before the actual offering was given. The Mishnah, which teaches that the taste of the meat should be the one that lingers in our mouths at the end of the Seder meal and can't be displaced by any other food, gets re-read to apply to the matzah. So we suddenly have an idea that our final taste must be that of the tasteless afikomen. This is an idea that in, in itself seems bizarre until we are able to see the afikomen as really representing the final element of the experience of eating the Pesach. In other words, the phrase that allows us to see matzvah as a mitzvah independent of the Pesach is what ultimately enables us to allow matzah to take the, take the Pesach's place as the anchor and the defining mitzvah of the Seder experience. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros, from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.